Okay, good news. Uh, in Revelation 21, we have come off uh, in Revelation 20, the defeat and the binding of the dragon who was Satan. And now we see the condition and the status of the church after the war, the battle has been waged in the victory that has been achieved by God. And now what we see is a new condition. That new condition or that new environment is called a new heaven and a new earth. Figuratively speaking, that term is something that speaks of the environment in which the church, the saints that make up the church, now stand. Is that environment going to change? Yes, it will change once again. Uh, but the environment in the first century uh, is what we have been dealing with in the book of Revelation. That would become a new condition, a new environment in which the church would stand because of the defeat of Domitian, who is seen as the sea beast and the earth beast was the false religion of uh, emperor worship, which had been taken out of the way when Domitian falls. Ultimately, Rome would come to its end. The harlot ultimately would be completely eradicated, as it were, a world empire. So, once we see the environment of this new heaven and a new earth that the church stands in, John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So we know what this new Jerusalem is, this holy city. He's not referring to physical, literal Jerusalem. He's referring to the church. Why would he use the city of Jerusalem as the church, as a holy city? Well, to any, any Jew, Jerusalem was their holy city. That's where the temple of God was. That's where God displayed his presence, as it were. It was called the holy city. It was called this, well, Jerusalem means city of peace. And so it, it's obvious that he would use that figure as a description of the Christians, as a description as the church, because it's always stood for God's holy people. Just like the number 12 stood for the 12 patriarchs, of the 12 sons of Jacob that made up the Israelite nation or the 12 apostles, the number 12 was a religious number that stood for the people of God. That's the reason why we, when we see 1,200 times 1,200 or 12,000 times 12,000, we come up with 144,000. That's just, that's just the magnification of the people of God. It just refers uh, figuratively to the people of God. So, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. They've always been his people. Always have, always have been his people. Then what's changed? Well, they've gone through the pain, the suffering. It didn't look like from an outward standpoint that God cared for the church, that God cared for his people. But since now the mission has been brought low, the sea beast, the earth beast have been taken care of, the dragon or Satan has been bound from using them as weapons against his people, what does it look like now? Hey, they're still God's people. God lives among them. God lives within them. And that's what we've seen. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Why were they crying? Persecution. They were crying because of the persecution and what Rome was doing to them. There will no longer be any death. Oh, really? People no longer died? Oh, yeah, they died. They sure did. 
but not by the hands of the Roman Empire. Why? Because that weapon that was being used by the dragon has been taken out of the way. So they're not suffering death in that manner, as it were. There'll no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the things that we've been talking about in the previous chapters about the persecution, the bloodletting, what the dragon was going to do and how he was chasing after uh, the children of the woman and were going to persecute them, it's over. It's over. Those are the things, the first things that have passed now. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. You can bank on them. You can count on them. You can believe in the words that God has given you. And then he said to me, It is done. Judgment has been provided The church stands secure and protected. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's how he can do it. He is the beginner of all things. He is the ender of all things. As Jesus said, I am the one that holds the keys of death and Hades in my hand. Revelation chapter 1. I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. I will give to to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. The things that he's talking about are the things that we just got through sharing. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, immoral people, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their part will be in the lake that that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Utter defeat, utter destruction, and utter loss. Now, verse 9. We see now the description of this new Jerusalem. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, Come, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So what is John fixing to see? The church. The church. That's what he's fixing to see is the church. He's not fixing to get a picture of what heaven looks like. Now, is, there a, is the family in heaven as well? Yes, but that's not what John sees. He's going to get a picture of what the church looks like because the church is the bride of Christ. Uh, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, its origination, Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and the gates on the gates, uh, at the gates were 12 angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. So, what are we seeing here? Why does he describe the church as having 12 gates and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on those 12 gates? Why? What would that mean to the hearers or readers of this prophecy? Okay. Now, when you think of something, how many, how many doors does your house have going into it? 
Well, I don't know about you, but I only need one door to get in my house. Do you need more than one door? Then why do we have two or three or more doors to our house? Escape. Okay. <laughs> you can get out of there. If you come through the front, you can get out the back if you need to. No, it just, uh, what if you have people out back that need to get into the house? If you only had a front door, where would they have to go? All the way around to get into the front door. But if you've got a back door, where can they go? Abundant entrance. That's the reason why 12 gates are mentioned here. Abundant entrance. I mean, when you've got 12 gates to a city, I mean, you can just come in from everywhere. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us as a prophecy, what would be flowing into Zion? Peoples from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Every tribe, nation, and tongue. As a matter of fact, does, does this passage many, mean anything to you? Jesus said in the book of John chapter 14, Beloved, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? He said, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's what? Many mansions. The literal translation is that there's room for all. God's got plenty of room for all. Everybody can come. Everybody can be a part of God's household. The only problem is only few are going to be there. That's unfortunate. He makes it available to anybody and everybody that wants to come. But do you know there are people who choose not to? Now whose fault is that? God's? No. Isn't that interesting? God's going to allow us our choices. He doesn't force anybody to become one of his children. He offers. He lets them know. And he puts out the most precious gift so that they can come. And that was the gift of his son. Yeah, he did. That was, that's God's desire. God does not desire that anybody should be lost, but all should come to repentance. Some just refuse to come. So, what we have here is a figurative description of the access that people have to the church. Anybody and everybody can come. Twelve gates. And on each gate is a name of one of the sons of Jacob. The tribe of, why did they, why did he use that figure? Tribe of Israel. Why? The 12 tribes of Israel, one name on each of the gates. Why? It's, yeah, it, it just, again, it's just talking about the people of God. We've already seen it. We've seen the number 12, how it is used. The 12 apostles. Uh, we've seen the 12 tribes mentioned in, in the book of, uh, book of Revelation already. So we, we know that this 12-gated city, as it were, the holy city, which is the church, has the 12 tribes mentioned on it because the 12 tribes always stood for the people of God. And that's how he's referring to the church. This is just the people of God with great access to the church, abundant entrance. God wants everyone to be saved, none to be lost. It says here, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a costly stone and as a stone of crystal clear jasper. 
It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and the gates with 12 angels, and the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There are three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the, uh, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now listen, the apostles are not the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. What the 12 apostles, uh, uh, that foundation was what they preached and what they taught. That was the foundation. And what they preached and what they taught was about who? Jesus. Jesus. Those are the 12 foundation stones, the 12 apostles who preached about this man named Jesus. Now, so we have abundant entrance. We have access from all sides. And now what we're going to see is abundant room. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city. Now, we see this rod and gold rod being used in the Old Testament. Ezekiel is told to take a rod and measure the city or measure the temple of God. And it was measuring it for judgment. All right, so here we have the same image, that golden measuring rod. The city is going to be measured and its gate and its wall. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod. Now how big is this city? Wow! A 1,500... I mean, you're talking about the half, half the size of the United States of America. 1,500 miles wide. So you've got a city that's 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles this way, and 1,500 miles that's that way. Man, that's a lot of miles. And you've got on each, each side, you have got 12 gates, three on each side. And an angel is there at each one of the gates. Why is an angel there at each one of the gates? Okay, guarding, allowing access or rejecting access, as it were. Remember the angel, the cherubim that stood at the garden that was in Eden? Remember that? After the fall and, and Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, they couldn't get back in. Why? Because there was, a cher uh, there was a cherubim there and he had a flaming sword waving it. You can't pass back. You can't get back into the garden that is in Eden. You can't do it. They guarded and protected the entrance. Sometimes angels are used that way. Have you ever heard of the term guardian angel? I believe there are guardian angels. Matter of fact, I think the hedge that was around Job that Satan accused God of protecting Job with, I think that head was angels that were around Job, protecting him. And God said to the angels, Back off, let Satan do his bidding, because I know my man better than Satan knows him. Matter of fact, the Bible does tell us in the book of Psalms that we are surrounded by a host of angels. And that's good for me, because one angel probably isn't enough <laughs> for me. Okay, I'm just saying, I need to be surrounded by a host. I need more than one keeper. I'm just kidding. One angel would probably be perfect. But anyway, I'm just saying. All right. So the city is laid out a square. 
Its length is as great as its width. He measured the city with rod 1,500 miles in length, width, height are equal. Why would he give us a city that looked like that? Why? I mean, I mean, 50, how many people live in the United States of America? About 350 million, something like that? Okay, we're going to take half of America. So that puts you down about, what, 175? 175 million people could live in that city. Could live in that city. I mean, if it's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, you could get half of America in there. Is that what he's trying to tell us? What is he saying? Room for everybody. As Jesus, as Jesus promised, there's room, there's room in my Father's house for everybody that wants to come. Everybody. It's huge, large. Now look at verse 17. And he measured its wall, 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. You notice that? 72 yards. Even the angels measure in U.S. figures. No metrics here, folks. I'm just saying. <laughs> We're talking about yards here. We're not talking about meters or, or millimeters We're or centimeters. If, you know, we need to get back to just inches, liters, I mean, gallons, cups, pints, and none of this millimeters. I, I don't like that kind of stuff. I can't, it don't help. I have to go to a calculator or, or my uh, phone, get on Google, and try to translate what three and two five inches are in millimeters. No, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I don't know, but we're slowly transitioning over to that. I got to go back to school, I guess. So he measured the wall, 72 yards. Does anybody know, can anybody quickly tell me how many feet that is? 200 what? 216 feet thick. Woo! Now, folks, let me just tell you. Look at that wall. A wall that's 216 feet thick. Man, why does he give us a city 1,500 by 1,500, 12 gates, and now he talks about a wall that's 216 feet thick, 72 yards. Oh, yes, yeah, safe and secure. When you're talking about a wall that's 216 feet thick, that's impregnable. I mean, who can bust through that? And that's the point. That's what he's saying about the church, his bride. Matter of fact, I think there was a song out many years ago. This goes back to my secular years. Uh, talked about his girlfriend or his wife that was a brick house. <laughs> Just saying. You know, okay, we've got it. We, the, the church, look at the No wonder Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not do what? Overpower it. It can't. It can't. The walls are 216 feet thick. Literally, no. But figuratively, folks, if you're in the church, you've got protection, you've got security, and you've got room. 
You've got room for all. Now, notice what he goes on to say. The material of the wall was jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper. Second was sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. Now some of these these names that are used for these stones, I don't have a clue. I've seen sapphires. I've seen amethysts. I have seen jasper, I, uh, but some of these I've never seen. I've seen emerald. Uh, has anybody ever seen a chaseldony stone? What is chaseldony? What's a sardis stone? Sardius. Does anybody know what that is? Red. It's a red stone. How about chrysolite? Does anybody know what chrysolite is? How about beryl? Topaz. That's my birthstone. Topaz, uh, crystal phrase, Jans- J- jaseth, and not amethyst. I've seen, I've, I've seen that. Now, okay. He says the walls are adorned like this. Gold, pure gold, jasper, pure gold. The foundation stones have, are, are made up of these beautiful, beautiful jeweled stones. Why? Why does he describe the city with the walls being in gold, the foundation stones being enshrined in, in these precious jewels? Why? That's it. Just how precious the church really is. Just how beautiful. And then he goes on to say, verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. Now, how, how big was the wall? 1,500 miles. How, big, how many gates on each one of the walls? Three. I wonder what size the gates were, because if it's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles tall, I wonder what that pearl looked like. Yeah, it's a big old pearl. You ladies would be proud. Okay, I'm just saying, they say diamonds are a girl's best friend, and here we have pearls. All right, and the street of the city was pure gold, like like transparent glass. Literally, no. Would you tell me why God would use terms like this to, uh, as figures and images to help us to understand the preciousness of his bride, the church. Why? Yeah. Yeah, I can understand this. Well, I, I don't understand some of the stones because I've never seen them. I've seen a Sardis stone. I've seen an emerald stone. I've seen the cost of some of these stones. And that's what he's saying the church is. It's costly. It's precious. It's the most glorious thing that you would ever experience in your life. As a matter of fact, doesn't Jesus tell a parable about a man who came across a pearl? A most precious pearl. A pearl that has no price to it. And he said the guy sold everything he had so that he could have that precious pearl. And what was that pearl that Jesus was talking about? 
the kingdom. It was the kingdom. And who's the kingdom? Jesus and the church. That's who the kingdom is. That's what, that's what Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 20. He talks about, I will build my church. The gates of hell sh- or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And then, he, he, and then a few sentences down below, he instead he uses the name church, he uses kingdom. He uses the church and kingdom interchangeably. This is what we as Christians are a part of. This glorious, powerful, protective, secure, beautiful church. That's what we are. We are the jewels that make up the body of Christ because the bride is the church and the church is made up of its individual parts, each individual Christian. Now, since my birthstone is topaz, I'll take that one. You could have the Sardis stone if you want or the amethyst. I, do, I, I, I don't know if a crystallite is also a diamond. I have no idea. Streets of gold, walls of gold, really? Come on now. Does that stuff have to exist in heaven? It does, it's not needed. God doesn't need a city. God doesn't even need a throne. He uses the image of a throne because from the throne comes the authority, the power. And he's king of kings and lord of lords and all kings have got to have thrones. Do you think God literally sits on a throne? No. It's an image that reflects something. Power, authority, judgment. That's what it, that's what it reflects. The church is the same way. It's the bride of Christ. Well, how do brides look? Adorned, beautiful, precious, costly, (laughs) costly, all right? And that's what the church is. Let me ask you, what is the cost of the church? What was the, the blood of Jesus? There's the cost, blood of Jesus. That's what we see here. And that's what the church is all about. So what we see here is not heaven, not what we're going to experience in heaven. It's what we're experiencing now. It's who we are now. Now, well, is there a family in heaven? Yes. Are they part of what he's described? Yes. But when you get, don't think that that's where you're, you're going to see in heaven. You're not going to see that in heaven. As a matter of fact, you can't even imagine what you're going to see and experience in heaven. Paul says so. You can't even imagine. I don't care what CGI can do these days with movies. I don't care. I don't care what man can come up with his imagination. It cannot compare with what you and I are going to see and experience. I know many of you have gone on trips and have seen some glorious things that have just caused your jaw to drop and your mind just to wonder and you praise God for the ability that he has to create all this beauty. But folks, it's not going to compare what we're going to experience in heaven. And I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to the trip. All right? I'm looking forward to it. And that is what God wanted them to understand. After all the gloom and doom that Rome was bringing on the Christians, look at the church in all of her glory. She stands strong and powerful 
with strength and protection and security because of the power of God. And that is what these images were made, these Christians, to get a hold of and lock on to. Now look, if you would, at verse 22. He says, I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices an abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why is there no temple there? What was the temple, by the way? The tabernacle and ultimately became the temple. You have the uh, tabernacle uh, of Moses. You have the, t- uh, the, uh, the temple of Solomon. And then you have Herod's temple. What, were the, what was the significance of those temples? Okay. That was the place where God's presence could be displayed. And every time they saw that temple, they experienced, as it were, God's presence among them. They saw God's presence among them. But this became a problem for the Jews because they thought as long as that temple was standing, they were in good with the Lord. God ain't never going to reject us. Why? Temple's right there. His house is right there. God says, I'm going to take care of that. You have put your trust in brick and mortar. You should have been putting your trust in me. But because you, because you disobeyed and rejected me, I'm taking that temple down. And it was taken down. Remember, A.D. 70, by the power of Rome, punishment of God, the day of the Lord came on his own people, and he brought judgment. And he destroyed that temple. Not one stone was left upon another. And I find it interesting that till, even to today, that temple has not been restored. Now, some people think that that temple is going to be restored before Jesus comes back. They're going to restore all the sacrificial offerings and things of this nature, the old priesthood. Then you tell me, if that takes place, then why did Jesus die? Because all of those things pointed to him. So you're telling me that all those things have got to be reestablished, all the sacrifices, when his sacrifice was enough are going to be reestablished? No way. No way. All right. Uh, What does it mean by the nations walking by its light? What kind of illumination does God give? Light, but light for what reason? To open man's eyes spiritually. Okay? The nations can, if you want to be enlightened, if you want spiritual insight and depth, God provides it through the church. He provides it through the church. He's the one that illuminates it, gives it its wisdom. He's the one that's given us his word that we are to live by. 
And if the nations want to walk right and live righteously, they need to walk by His illumination. That is our problem today. We live in a culture and a society that's rapidly turning their back on the very things that can illuminate them, give them insight into truth. That's the reason why we're losing our way as a nation. Is there any help for our nation? Yep. You know what it is? Us. Us. God using us as lights and salt to our world. So as long as we're doing our part, trying to share the message like we talked about from the book of Philippians, trying to allow God to magnify Jesus in our lives, then there's hope for our nation. Because righteousness always builds up a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Anyway, all right. Chapter 20, hey, chapter 22. We're going to finish this thing up. We're going to hopefully finish strong. So I hope you'll be back with us Wednesday night. Lord willing.